Welcome to Altered States of Context, a podcast about psychedelic psychotherapy and the uneasy fit between a medicalized view of human suffering and the mysterious, mystical world of psychedelic drugs. I'm your co-host, Nathan Gates. And I'm your co-host, Brian Pilecki. We're two therapists and longtime psychedelic advocates who love to discuss all aspects of this fast evolving field. Thanks for keeping it current with us. And thanks for keeping it weird as we dive into today's episode. If you're looking for a dependable platform for your psychedelic assisted therapy practice, or just your regular psychotherapy practice, look no further than Ozmind. We're excited to have Ozmind as one of our new partners at ASOC and as a supporter of this podcast. As the premier platform for this field, Osmide provides an all-in-one system with customized charting for ketamine, spravato, and traditional psychotherapy, as well as a patient app with over 40 validated rating scales and secure messaging options. By joining Osmide's Psychiatry Tomorrow newsletter, you'll also get access to over 10 guides and templates to help start and grow your psychedelic therapy practice. Take your practice to the next level with Osmine. You can join Osmine today by using our link, osmine.org slash ASOC. That's O-S-M-I-N-D dot org forward slash ASOC. is a licensed clinical social worker and clinical hypnotherapist. For over three years, Denise worked as a retreat leader and lead therapist at a legal psilocybin retreat center in Jamaica. To date, she has had the privilege of overseeing approximately 1,500 psilocybin sessions and about as many group integration sessions. Denise has a private practice in New Jersey where she specializes in individuals with complex trauma especially adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse. Denise also works as a trainer for Fluence Psychedelic Training Program. All right, well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Altered States of Context. I am your host, Brian Pilecki. Uh, and today, uh, my co-host, Nate, uh, cannot be here. So uh, Nate sends his best. Um, but I'm really happy to introduce our guest today, uh, Denise Rue, who is with us. Denise uh, has worked at a legal psilocybin retreat center um, in Jamaica for three years. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And uh, is here to share about her experiences uh, in that work. Uh, so welcome, Denise. And, you know, maybe you can start by just telling us a little bit about your background and, and how you got interested in this work. Yeah. Hi, Brian. Thanks so much for having me here. Um, well, uh, my background is as a clinical hypnotherapist and a licensed clinical social worker. I worked for 10 years as a hypnotherapist prior to becoming a social worker. And then in my traditional work um, at an agency, um, I just happened to receive a caseload of women who had um, experienced childhood sexual abuse. 
So as luck of the draw, that became my specialty. And so I worked with them for about seven years, um, both in individual and group therapy. And about the same time, I started reading all the research that was coming out of Johns Hopkins and Imperial College and NYU. And I just knew, oh, this is the wave of the future because this can alleviate so much suffering. Um, but I had never experienced psychedelic use of any kind before. So I knew I couldn't do this work without uh, having my own experiences. So I scheduled a retreat in Jamaica and I went on a 10 day four dose retreat. And it was profound and transformational. Uh, after the first dose, um, I, I turned to the retreat leader and I said, I, I don't think I can go back to my job. Um, I did go back, but I just, how could I go back to being only a traditional therapist when I knew that this healing was available? Um, so as luck would have it, uh, I was invited back uh, to work at that same retreat as a therapist. And I moved there full time in September of 2019. And I was there until December of this year. I, I really resonate with that idea about um, being drawn to the, the power of this 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 healing modality and the sense of like, gee, I, you know, I, I don't want to just do regular therapy that there's, when there's this other tool, this other option that's also available. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I had, because of my background as a clinical hypnotherapist, um, and I also learned how to do EMDR, um, and I did somatic work as well. Um, so I was doing therapeutic interventions that go deeper than just staying in the intellect. Mm. But after experiencing psychedelic healing, I knew that this can go so much deeper than anything that we currently had our hands on. And so you worked for three years uh, overseeing mm -hmm. retreats, groups of people who would come down to the mm -hmm. center, stay for a week or so, have you know some number of experiences, uh, and then the group would leave, and then another group would come in. <laughs> and so you, you know, in, in our current landscape where um, there is a lot of interest, uh, and yet you know, a lot of people just haven't had the opportunity to have any experiences facilitating or be, you know, overseeing people's experiences. And so here you are with really a wealth of, of experience. I mean, I imagine you must've seen it all in that time, seen a huge spectrum of possibilities. And so, I mean, I, I'm, I have so many uh, curiosities about all of that, but I guess just to start off with, um, how has your view of, of psilocybin and psychedelics changed over those three years. You described a little bit of that early kind of attitude and, and how has that matured over really getting into the, the, the work with people on such a, um, you know, deep level. 
That's a great question. Um, I always came into this work because of my own experience with, with great reverence, uh, humility, awe even. Um, and I always came into my traditional therapeutic encounters believing that this was such a privilege for someone to open up their heart and minds to me. So that reverence, that respect, that felt sense of responsibility and great privilege, I always had. Um, over the years, I think I've developed uh, a sense of the great mystery and depths that this work can reach and that we're only in our infancy mm. in understanding it. And I, you know, I read constantly and I've probably witnessed uh, about 1400 psilocybin experiences. And I could never say, oh, I've, I've seen it all. Mm -mm, I I'd never say that. I, I, um, but I, you know, the more, the more, you know, the more, you know, you don't know. Yeah. Right. right. And sometimes going into a retreat, I felt like, you know, a toddler with a little Fisher Price medical bag going in to perform neurosurgery. Like you're, <laughs> you're walking into these experiences that are, I mean, I feel sacred and transformational and mysterious. And it was so, it was so great a responsibility for me to want to be um, as prepared as I could and as open as I could, so I could um, be uh, a good vessel, if you will, to, to, to serve the medicine. I always came at this um, in terms of service. Yeah. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. that um perspective of, of humility and, and reverence mm -hmm. for the process. And I, you know, I think that's, that's a good, I mean, that, that fits for me in terms of regular therapy. You know, I, I certainly wouldn't say I've seen it all in regular therapy and the more, the more I do traditional work, right. The, the more I realize just how much there is to, and I'll never, I'll do it to how many lifetimes to really, you mm -hmm. know, master all, you know, in, in all these different ways. So, um, you know, I, I'm curious about what it was like for you in the beginning when mm -hmm. you encountered the mystery. I mean, there's so much about this healing modality as you're speaking that, you know, it's not logical, it's surprising, it's it's unpredictable. And um, what was that like for you encountering some of those, those more um, mysterious aspects? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that... Uh, a few things prepared me for that, um, and one was, was my work in hospice. Um, so they're, they're similar in that 
Um, the, the therapist, as I was a hospice a social worker, um, the person is going to go through their experience. I'm not going to, they're eventually going to die. And I am there to simply hold that space with curiosity, um, with respect, to allow the process to unfold without having an agenda. Um, so being a hospice social worker really prepared me. Also, I have a long history of, um, uh, of having a deep spiritual life. So, so doing a lot of reading in the religious tradition traditions has has really helped me. Um, I, so I had some some good foundation to come into this work. Right. Um, but that being said, some of the things that I really had to work with over the the next years was. Um, preparing myself uh, prior to a session. You know, we all, you know, as therapists, sometimes we come to the therapeutic session emotionally compromised, right? We have lives outside of the therapy office, yes. right? So there would be times when I was physically sick, when I was really tired. Maybe I, I just got some really difficult news about a family member or a friend. And I had to shift into a space of um, being very open, uh, very non-judgmental. Um, and, you know, that that required some kind of fancy footwork sometimes, you know, to show up um, so you can be as present, as compassionate, non-judgmental um, as possible. So I, I think, you know, we hear a lot in, in therapy about self-care, self-care, self-care. But never is this more true than as a therapist or a guide facilitator working in the psychedelic space. Right. Because um, the, the Voyager uh, doesn't have the usual boundaries. Right. right. So they're going to be able to pick up on your energies, if you yeah. will. Yeah. And so if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling bored, if you're feeling tired, if you're fe feeling irritable, it's going to be hard to mask that. Yeah. So you really do have to take care of yourself. If you're going to do this work, you can't just kind of breeze in and, you know, oh, this looks easy. Right. I'll just sit here on a cushion for, for five hours. Right. Yeah. I'm not doing anything. I'm just holding space. That's no problem. Like, what mm -hmm. you know, I could. Yeah. And, and. Uh, I think, you know, in, in general, I, I imagine it's probably 
you know, you can get through a 50 minute therapy session, like pretty, you know, you, you can get through no matter what's going on. Usually that's, there's that frame, you know, 50 minutes can, can sort of leave that, but in, you know, a six to eight hour emotionally intense, especially in a group setting with all of these dynamics going on, like there's no, no place to hide. <laughs> no, no. And so you're dealing with the, the, say you have 10 to 12 guests. So you're dealing with their intrapsychic environment, the interpersonal dynamics, their transference. And then you're dealing um, as a retreat leader with um, supporting the other facilitators and, and holding that space for them. So it's very, it's very demanding, but it's incredibly rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. It sounds very rich, like all of those different levels. And mm -hmm. um, I'm curious that the, the, so, you know, if we think about the person who is going to sign up for a psilocybin retreat in Jamaica and, and take the time out of their lives and have the means to do that, you know, that's a certain kind of person. Mm -hmm. What, what were the reasons why, I mean, I imagine they were really varied, but what were some of the more common themes that you saw? Uh, like, why did people show up? Yeah. Um, I would say the majority of our guests were people with significant mental health challenges who had been in therapy and on medication for decades. And they came because whatever coping strategies or whatever medication they'd used or therapeutic interventions, they weren't working anymore. So we had a significant number of guests coming um, and that was their last hope, right? We even had people coming in and, say, and saying, look, if this doesn't work, I'm, I'm gonna kill myself. Wow. So we really had people uh, who were suffering and suffering for decades. Um, of course, a lot of people who had, had experienced childhood trauma and neglect, that was pretty universal. Um, we did have people coming um, who were in positive places in their lives, and they were coming, perhaps it was uh, a life transition. So they were retiring, um, maybe they were empty nesters, and they were coming with the sense that, you know, I'm not quite living with as much vitality and energy um, as, as I think I should. And I want to make this next chapter of my life really rich. And we did have people who were coming to, um, you know, just to kickstart their, their, their meditation or their spiritual life. Yeah. But, but significantly our, uh, our retreat uh, guests were, were people who were suffering from significant uh, trauma. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, you know, as a therapist and the, the folks who contact me with interest in psychedelics, it, it, they, they fall into that category as well of, of mm -hmm. folks who have not been able to be helped by more traditional treatments, looking for some other form mm -hmm. to help them. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, the, the enormity of that experience for them and that they're basically betting the farm on this experience. So part of the work that we have to do is managing expectations right? and educating them that this is probably going to be the beginning of a process where you're going to continue with psychedelic integration, traditional therapy, you may come back and work with the medicine again. Right. Um, but it, but it's probably not just a one-shot deal. It may be for right. some people, you know, one one retreat, three doses over the course of a week. That that's that's enough. Right. Where they go back and they're in, in therapy and they're doing the work of integration, which is a, an essential part of this experience, um, then perhaps they don't have to use the medicine again. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in general, like thinking about the retreat model, I'm I'm such a big fan. I've 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 found them to be personally beneficial. I've been on all different types of retreats in my, in my own life. And, you know, in, in, as a a facilitator and in various roles. And I I also worked in a partial hospital program, which was like Mm -hmm. a six hours a day, five days a week. And there's just this, this sort of thing about when people show up to dedicate like full time, full effort, into their well-being and their growth and looking at themselves that can lead to such change. And mm-hmm. I get, you know, it's so important to temper that with with realistic expectations and sort of manage that. Um, but still, like, there's something about that dedication and that focus and that environment that you set up uh, where a person is around other people who are also trying to find health and wholeness and well-being that can be so curative and so, so helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of group work in general, but, but group work with uh, these psychedelic substances is, is for me where the rubber meets the road. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so the beauty is both in the medicine space and in the integration space. So you get 10 to 12 strangers. Right. Um, We didn't cherry pick people for uh, say, oh, we're going to have three people with PTSD and three with this. No, people just came together and there was this element of synchronicity where, uh, okay, you're, you're strangers, but there's a reason you were all plunked down here together. But, um, you know, being in a healthy group um, can, uh, you know, it resembles a healthy family, right? Where people can share without judgment. Mm. Um, they can receive compassion. They can feel validated. Um, and it it reduces their sense of isolation because they hear from the other guests, oh, that happened to you too, or, oh, your father was an alcoholic too. So I'm not so alone. These, and so it gets people out of their cocoon of pain and they get to unburden themselves 
in in front of a group. Yeah. And, and they get to have that repair experience yes. of learning to trust other people. Yeah. With with their vulnerability, with their honesty, with their authenticity. And it's it's absolutely beautiful to experience. And then of course, um, with the medicine, you know, you get out of your uh, your ego boundary, right? That what Watts said, that ego encapsulated okay. self. And, and so people are able to tap into their inherent uh, capacity to feel compassion mm. for others. And that's so beautiful to witness. So after a week of uh, voyaging with people, um, these groups can become incredibly cohesive. Right. It's like going to war with someone. You've been in the trenches. Yes. And they're, you know, they're your your tribe. Yeah. Because yep. only they understand what you went through. Right. So yeah. I'm a huge believer in, in group work. With yeah, these I, I love that metaphor of like the healthy family, like kind of mm -hmm. having an experience that I mean, even in the best circumstances, those of us who maybe were fortunate to have families that were relatively healthy, mm -hmm. like still like, you know, there's uh, there's something to be said about that really like intentional, nonjudgmental um, parameter that gets set up. Right. So that one can experience like sort of let go and be vulnerable. And then what are you saying? Like what comes out of that? It's like this natural compassion. Like you receive all this compassion from other people and you give it to other people. And it's, it's kind of like you, you know, um, you think about um, the difference between that and individual psychedelic therapy, which is mm -hmm. you know really in some ways like the dominant model so far, two therapists, one person, right? Like there's so much of that, um, interpersonal and, and collective dynamic that can be so helpful. That I think that gets, you know, that, that isn't part of the, the traditional psychedelic assisted therapy model. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it's beautiful. And, and of course, beautiful things can happen and do happen. And it's essential that they happen one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, one of the things that's, that's so reparative um, is when the guest can go through um, an ab reaction or a reliving of a childhood trauma. And then the facilitator acts as the compassionate parent. Right. So uh, the guest is able to go through their trauma and be received usually for, for the first time with, without judgment, with, with affection, with containment, without blame. And this allows a deep, deep wound to be, to be healed. Right. But the facilitator needs to be able to have the capacity to, to hold that experience for the guest. And, you know, if, we as facilitators have to be able to hold hearing um, some pretty, pretty rough stuff. Mm -hmm. 
and to be able to to make sense for that Mm -hmm. um to make i'm sorry to make space for that and and i think that that's really an important quality that that it's essential for a facilitator to develop and 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 one of the ways they can do that is by doing their own inner work Uh going deeply into their own wounds and being really vigilant and um and courageous about going into their own wounds not just with psychedelics um, because you risk the old psychedelic bypass, just like the spiritual bypass. Right. But in in other, um, you know, traditional therapy, non ordinary states of consciousness, like like breath work, um, meditation, artwork. So we we have to do our own work. That's really really essential in this field. Yeah, I'm I'm so glad you 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 brought that up cuz cuz I think that's something that um you know in in traditional at least you know when I went to grad school for traditional therapy like the years where that was encouraged have long passed, right? Mm-hmm. Like it used to be that when you became a therapist like you you kind of had to go to therapy and I understand the reasons why that's that's not mandated these days for there's ethical mm-hmm. and you know, but, but sort of that just general ad, sort of advice or, um, uh, you know, the, really stressing the importance that, uh, you know, we need to have some degree of self-awareness. We need to know what our buttons are. We need to know, we don't, you know, we're not, it's not about like becoming a perfect person or healing or transcending all our suffering, but we at least should know what our wounds are before entering spaces where there can be so much going on and there's so much reactivity uh, mm-hmm. that even when you're you're fully resourced and not like full, you're not sick, you're not tired, like it's yeah. still um, pretty demanding to to manage all of that. Yeah, yeah. And I know that there is a bit of a debate um, whether facilitators should have used the medicine themselves. And um, I I feel at the very least that facilitators doing this work need to understand non-ordinary states of consciousness um, through through perhaps holotropic breath work. Um, but, But... you know, if you're going to climb to Mount Everest, you're probably going to want a guide who's been there before you, right? And we can't possibly, as facilitators, um, have experienced everything right. in the medicine space. But I think it's, it's um, invaluable to be able to understand what a person may be experiencing when they're talking about a rebirth or an age regression or mystical experience or or ego death. Um, It's nice to know what, what that is, what that means in your own life, in the body, and not just intellectually. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And in terms of 
the, you know, there's this term out there, challenging experiences, right? And that's sort of the new version of bad trip. Mm-hmm. Um, challenging experience. You know, there, there's some of the data from the Johns Hopkins, I think Johns Hopkins or one of the psilocybin trials is that um, actually the the more challenging the experience, the, the more therapeutic gain yeah. that was achieved. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's this idea that challenging experiences in the right container with the right support uh, can lead to, to kind of transformation. And um, I, I'm curious, like, were... Did folks ever have real challenging experiences and and not sort of come out on the other side of that or not feel like it led to something therapeutically beneficial? Mm-hmm. Um, well, usually over the course of the week, um, so three doses, usually systematically higher, um, what a person might experience in a challenging experience that didn't get fully processed over the next trip or two, it it would get processed. So people would, you know, get their miracle by the end of the week. So where you do run into trouble is if um, a challenging experience and You know, I don't like to use the term bad trip, but challenging experience, that's one way to say it. But but some of these experiences like ego death can be terrifying Mm -hmm. or reliving a childhood trauma, Mm -hmm. absolutely excruciating. Um, So it's understandable that a client might not be able to fully surrender and release and let the experience run its course. And that's the benefit of of having multiple doses over the course of a week. Um, So, but you know, we're asking quite a lot of people, I think, um, when, I think there needs to be like a whole period of uh, <laughs> de-education or, or deprogramming uh, prior to the psilocybin experience. Okay, so the the way we come up in the West as consumers of mental health. Okay, um, it's been very much pathologized and medicalized, Um, people still come in with the belief, well, I have a chemical imbalance. And they talk about my, I was diagnosed with a depression or I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder or PTSD. And it's almost at a remove from them and then they they can also be very much blended i am my diagnosis right um so and they 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 perceive for the most part that these mental health challenges are the enemy and they want to eradicate them and 
by, by taking medication, that is a way to kind of snuff out the symptoms. Okay, so, so it's a, it's, we're asking when people come to a psychedelic medicine to take a completely different viewpoint, which is um, you're going, this medicine is going to bring you into your body, mm-hmm. out of your intellect, it's going to drop you into the body. And for many people right there, they don't have an experience of that. Right. right? Because especially with trauma, they've been living outside of their body. They've been dissociating. So part of the re-education, I think, is getting people to drop out of the story and down into the body. So if we're talking about preparation for a psychedelic trip, that's really necessary. And then the, the medicine is going to bring you face to face with your symptoms. So if you're pushing it away in the session, when it wants to come in, in order to be healed, right? That's a different relationship. So I would always say, invited in for tea, invited in for tea, invited in for tea. But before a guest can do that, we also have to address with curiosity and with compassion um, these guards at the gate, right? So the person isn't going to be able um, to get right down to the core of their wounds. They're probably going to have to deal with some gatekeepers, like their their tendency to dissociate, and, you know, to to go numb, to shut down, to to uh, be self-punitive and attack themselves and others. So we're, we're asking quite a lot when a person comes on a retreat if they haven't done a lot of preparation. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Makes a lot of sense in the, you know, when you talk about um, the whole disease model of mental health that we have in the West mm-hmm. And, and how harmful that can be that when people really buy into this idea of like, you know, like strep throat is something you could see under a microscope and you, you kind of either have it or you don't, mm-hmm. you know, but then that whole like, I'm going to take a medicine and it's I'm going to get better after and then the strep throat will, will get, get killed and leave me like that whole disease model does not fit for things like trauma and, you mm-hmm. know, and, and I mean, I, I think it's it's it might be, you know, there's some some ways I would argue that maybe it's helpful, but, but certainly I've, I've worked with a lot of clients like you're describing that um, are really bought into this idea of a chemical imbalance or they're attached to an intellectual solution. Like they're looking for some insight and what you're talking about for so many people is such a radically different approach is like, Oh, go into the body, like leave behind logic, leave behind language, see what's there experientially. Um, that's that's for a lot of us, like we we don't know how to do that, or that sounds really scary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and that has to be honored, right? That we live in a highly intellectualized society. Most of us are cut off at the necks, especially if we've experienced childhood trauma. 
so so how how do you work with that um, prior to the dose? Um, you know, with and that's why I think internal family systems approach is is so so helpful and somatic approaches. Um, so there's a lot of education that needs to be done, but but honestly, if if the the guest, the client feels that the facilitator is holding them with respect and, and they can let go of control. If, if, if the, the facilitator can, can hold their suffering, um, can, can help them have faith in their own internal healing wisdom. Um, People are, are able to, to make that transition uh, pretty miraculously. Mm -hmm. They've got that right environment. Right. Yeah. I, 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 I wonder if that's almost like um, a relief for some people to like find mm -hmm. this new pathway or find this new connection with their experience and that mm -hmm. like just feel, that's like oh that's what I've been looking for that's what's missing yes I, I, from what I've observed um, the body based uh, parts oriented heavy on the compassion that that works for people yeah. and um, sometimes it's just like a light bulb goes off, especially in terms of compassion, because that's that's one of the greatest gifts that these medicines can give us, right? The the ability to feel compassion for our own suffering. Um, most people say I felt compassion during this session for the first time in my life, right. and those people in their 60s and 70s and that's yes. the experience of that so it, it's incredibly welcoming to people yeah. but they have to allow themselves to give up their traditional means of control and relating to their own suffering yeah and so as we're talking we're talking a bit about to like preparation Right, how to go into an experience, um, you know, based on on your experience, um, what are the most important things for you? I mean, you've already kind of named a few, like maybe introducing a more body focused uh, mm -hmm. idea. Um, uh, but but yeah, I'm just curious, like you know, in in thinking about psychedelic therapy as it's going to be, you know. Um, disseminated in in the U.S. and other Western you know countries, like how do we best prepare clients for these experiences in in, in a non retreat setting? Um, well, so I think something that's very important for the the client to begin to develop is the quality of just being and not doing, right? 
And, and that can be very challenging because we're compulsive doers, right? And, and people come into this like they, they read and they prepare and I want to do it right. I want to get the gold <laughs> star. I want to do this. But it's like, well, what if you're just there and the only thing you have to do is breathe? and stay connected with your breathe with your breathing and just allow and allow a process to unfold um so having a meditation practice is is really important so the individual has some facility with just tapping into the breath and just observing you know, watching as their uh, thought processes, as images unfold. So that that really is essential um, preparation. Uh, I again, uh, you know, the IFS um, framework I think is so important because this notion of multiplicity comes up in the medicine space so much. So it's like, I have this part of me and this part and this part and this part. And rather than pushing parts away, um, how can I, again, invite them all in for tea, bring them up into the light? Um, so we have to educate about the shadow, right? Our sh the shadow aspects of our, of our consciousness. Um, so I think a lot of it is education, practice, and uh, managing expectations. But I also like to um, just say a bit in the group setting about uh, relating to the psychedelic medicine um, not as an it, mm. not as a functionary, like like a pill, like, okay, I'm gonna pop a Prozac. So what are you gonna do for me? But but as um as and I know this gets a little out there, but like as a sentient, intelligent being or entity, and that we're we're seeing this, we're working with it. It's not our functionary, right? So it's That's, like I think Martin Buber, the the, the, the um, Jewish philosopher, you know, this whole concept of I and thou. So relating to these medicines as if they're a thou, right? Yeah. And and so that's very different than then, oh, I'm taking this pill and you're going to fix me because it's, it's a relational, it has a relational quality. Yes. And I, and I've seen on retreat that when people do get into trouble, uh, you know, they've done all their reading and they, 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 they've listened to podcasts and, and, and they come in and they like, I want my default mode network rewired and <laughs> I'm, I'm here for ego death and I'm here for my mystical experience. And if they don't get that, they're, they're not happy. Right. And, and so 
you know, we all always say you, you, the trip that you get is the trip that you need. We right. can't impose. It's not a vending machine. Right. Like we don't. We don't have the wisdom that these plant medicines do. So yeah. If you, sure, you'd like a mystical experience. Who doesn't? Right. But if what you need to do is go into some childhood trauma, um, it we get into trouble when we tell we tell them mushroom or the medicine ah nah not going there and then that sets up this energy in the body where they're trying to still control because they know better yeah yeah i i, I really love I, I i never thought about it that way that you know, I've, I've thought a, a lot about the, you know, the Western value of, uh, you know, what can the medicine do for me, right? Mm -hmm. Like that kind mm -hmm. of like extractive, like, yeah, relating to it as if, if it's a, a, a pill or a drug, you know, and this is what I want. I'm, you know, and people often when they develop intentions, it's like they think about like, they think it's, you know, they, they approach that as like, asking Santa Claus for what you want for Christmas and you're going to get that. Right. Um, and, and, but that like this idea of what you're saying is like, that sort of sets up this control, like even in the dosing, if they go, if they're too attached to one outcome, they're just, they're looking for that and they're not, they're closing out anything else that might be happening. Yeah. And, and how that's so not that, that sort of um, that that's such a, you know, that, that sort of value is so embedded in our culture, that mm -hmm. kind of individualistic, what, what can it do for me, you know, transactional kind of mentality as opposed to, you know, I think about like indigenous perspectives that are more where, where these medicines were really rooted in that were more relational or more based on reciprocity where mm -hmm. it's, it's more like, well, what can I do for the medicine or how can this, how can this experience teach me to live in harmony with my, with my family and my community and the earth. And uh, so it's not this kind of like um, going into it for some, for some per only personal gain. Uh, it's seeing that we're, we're all connected and that my healing is your healing and that we're all that, you know, it's such a different, I think um, attitude or perspective for a, a lot of us. Mm -hmm. Oh, I agree. Um, so a big part of integration for me is, so you, you've had this hopefully transformational experience. Well, how are you going to bring it into the world? You know, Jung said, when you tap into the collective unconscious, greater and heavier your burden. Mm. You must translate um, this into tasks and duties when you re-enter the conscious world, okay? So we've been given a gift uh. in these encounters. So it's not just for us. It's not for right. us to hoard um, as something to trot out at a dinner party. Oh, let me tell you about my ego death. But it's like, okay, who are you going to be in the world now? Because this mystery has been revealed to you. Mm -hmm. You know, once 
Once the unconscious becomes conscious, we're responsible for it. Um, and I know that um, they're doing a lot of work with tweaking the chemical compounds. Oh, we wanna we wanna take away uh, the nausea from psilocybin, or we're gonna give you we're gonna give you the beneficial effects without the hallucinations, or um, we're going to oh five hours. That's that's far too. I don't have time for five hours. You know, can we, <laughs> can we reduce this in a pill? Could I do it on my lunch hour? That would be right. so convenient. Yeah. So I don't think that that's the right attitude to have. It, yeah. it, you know that that's going to go well. Yeah, it's it's. <laughs> I I kind of laugh at at a, a lot of that stuff. I mean, I, I you know on the one hand I. I guess I get it. Like, mm -hmm. you know, a six to eight hour session is, is long and yeah, it's like people trying to engineer these psychedelics that aren't psychedelic just to get the benefit, you know, it's like missing mm -hmm. the, missing the the point for me that, you know, that this is like suffering is part of life and, and all of these side effects and it's all, can it's all part of it. Mm -hmm. And how do you, you know, it's like this, again, this extractive, it's like what we did with uh, meditation in the West, right? We've tried oh. to like turn that into uh, stress reduction without, and then you take that practice out of the values and the systems. It's not the same practice. It doesn't have the same effect. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, that's one thing I worry about with psychedelics is that if it's, if, if that, um, and we're seeing this a bit in sort of like the ketamine space with you can go and online and there's an app and you you have very little interaction with people and you're getting mailed it and, and you take it on your own. It's very commercialized, like an Amazon product. And I think you, you leave out all of those relational components, the compassion, the the connection. And that's something I, I do worry about. No, I, I do. I do. And and it's interesting because. I mean, living in Jamaica for three years, um, even though after COVID, I, I was coming back, back and forth occasionally, but I was just in this realm that, okay, it was, it was legal and we were using these medicines. Um, our retreat was not a shamanic retreat, but there was some ritual involved. But we're using it in in a in a container which most of the facilitators considered sacred. So to come to come from that space, which was very expansive, and then to come back to the states and and I know we're just starting and you have to work within the system. And I'm so grateful we've come this far. But but even as a therapist uh to be working traditionally with someone who's really really suffering mm -hmm. and you know oh my gosh we could just we could kick it up a notch and we could do you know 10 years of therapy perhaps with 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 one with one session and the frustration of not being able to do that um it's pretty palpable yeah yeah yeah, I imagine. Yeah. 
and and you know when you when you were in these dosing sessions and uh you know 10 to 12 participants you had a team right you had several other facilitators um i imagine that that was you know you're talking about the mystery the unpredictable nature getting out of the way of people's healing process like i imagine there were a lot of moments when it wasn't clear what to do um do i give this person space do i you know like a lot of that sort of uh, i imagine a lot of your your learning came from just experience and yeah. so i'm i'm curious about like uh, you know training and thinking about new you know therapists or or other folks in our who want to get you know certified to do mdma therapy or psilocybin therapy and um uh, you know, so, so much part of like this part of like we talk about shamanic traditions is you would sit in ceremony after ceremony and have that, you know, uh, that that lived experience of navigating that space of altered states of consciousness. And so mm -hmm. um, how do we teach that? Is there is there is there really no substitute for that uh, or um you know, how, how is that going to, how do you, how do you see that kind of playing out in the way that psychedelic assisted therapy is emerging? Mm -hmm. Well, um, I think that uh, a couple of aspects that I noted previously, which is the importance of, of self-care, the importance of doing your own work, both traditionally with the medicine, um, that's great preparation reading, 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 not just the studies, but from some of the psychedelic pioneers like Stanislav Grof and, and just reading as much as you can about the experiences that you may encounter working in this space. Um, I think that therapists coming into this need to unlearn a few things. Right. Um, Number one, put your theories aside. Um, you're not going to be using language as your currency for the most part um, in, in the medicine space. Right. Use language and integration. Um, so how do you change your perspective from language being your mechanism of connection and just your presence, your non-judgmental um, presence, you know, that that's that's a seismic shift for for a therapist for many of us. Yes, absolutely. And then the relationship with touch. Right. right. Mostly in traditional therapy, we don't touch. I right. mean, we shake a hand or we may pat the shoulder when they're leaving, but but we're not touching. And in psychedelic assisted therapy or in the medicine space, we do touch. Of course, we get written and verbal permission, but we explain to the guest that um, we're going to, if you need it, uh, utilize comfort touch, what, which might be a hand on the shoulder or holding your hand. 
Um, and then some of us can work uh, with, with the body um, to, to help move along somatic manifestations of trauma. Right. So that would be, um, you know, encouraging someone to, to indicate, all right, where, where do you feel stuck? And having them put their hand on their chest or their throat or their, or their stomach and, and, and doing some work there. So that whole relationship with touch has to change for, for a new therapist. Um, but I think there is a limit to how much you can read. Um, it's really important to, to witness. And because it's, I, I compare being a, a facilitator um, who's just read books to like being a parent who's just read books. Okay, it's very different. I'm reading all the parenting manuals and then, but then they hand you the baby. Right. Oh, this is the real deal. So same in the psychedelic space, right? It's like, oh, I've read about this. But when somebody is is having um, an ab reaction going through their childhood trauma or having an ego death or rebirth experience, that's very, very different when you're in the space. So I think in training programs, we can help with that by um, just having training videos of all or as many of these possible uh -huh. um, things that can show up in the medicine space. So people can be somewhat familiar. And, you know, we have to learn from our elders, right? Yeah. People who've gone before us and people who have the hands-on experience. Yeah. That's absolutely essential. Yes. You yes, you did. Yeah, <laughs> you did. You 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 answered it very well in terms of like laying out uh, several, you know, several important aspects that uh, again may not uh, may not conform to the way that traditional therapy training is. Uh, mm -hmm. Like you're talking about using the body and presence. Right. That's not something that I was explicitly trained on or it, I don't even know if it was mentioned in my graduate program. Probably was. But, you know, it was more about the theory and the, all that stuff. Or like your body language. Yeah. Right, right, right. We got that. But it, it's so much more than than just your body language. Yes. Yes. Sure. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, and, you know, as you said, you know, uh, we, we, we want, there's sort of a lineage um, uh, uh, quality to this work, I think. And that's, you know, that this is, this is sort of passed down from folks who have, who have more experience and um, yeah, that's why I wanted to have you on because you're someone who's had a, a lot of experience. And, and I think that experience is just so valuable and rich and uh, it's mm -hmm. such an act of generosity for you to come on here and, and share that with us and mm -hmm. share that with the world. And I know yeah. that you, you, you know, <laughs> yeah. And you, 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 you approach this with such, um, 
you know, dignity and, 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 and humility and respect. And, and that, uh, that really comes through in the way you talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's the greatest work I've ever done. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that I didn't ask you about or anything else about your experience that, uh, you'd like to share or would be helpful for folks to mm-hmm. to know about this sort of work? Mm. Yeah, I, I think another another thing that's been interesting to me is to understand um, the phenomenon of transference, mm. especially in the medicine space, right? So so the the client, the guest, um, will often project onto a facilitator, um, you know, their, their, their feelings, attitudes, desires, um, material that they're, they're carrying within them. So the facilitator has to be um, grounded enough not to be either offended or become grandiose, okay? Because there's a lot of times that been projected upon me, um, oh, Denise, you're the great mother. You're the goddess. You're the earth mother. And yeah, oh yeah, that that feels, hey, that feels great. But (laughs) by the same token, I've been the evil mother, mm. you know, I've been the hated authority figure, mm. you know, I've, uh, I've been, it's been projected that, 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 that I'm a judge that, so a lot of stuff and none of it is about me. Right. Right. It, it's, <laughs> it's, so I have, or the facilitator has to be able to be strong enough not to let it impact their equilibrium. Right. right. So that's, you know, that's another thing for new psychedelic assisted therapists to think about. Like, right. what will I do when someone um, becomes aggressive with me, calls me names? I mean, I've been punched, I've been bitten. Um you know, I, and, but it's like, oh, to me, it's just like, oh, good. The medicine is working, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so, so understanding transference and counter-transference, right? There's going to be, there's going to be clients, guests that trigger us. Right. And, and we have to know that. Um, so we can work skillfully with our own emotions that are bubbling up. You know, the beauty of having a co-facilitator is you might be able to say, I'm sorry, this, this, I, this is not working. This person is right. Right. Um, uh, an abuser or, or someone and let me go kind of center myself and then I can come back into the room. But, but so we always have to be, you know, doing our inquiry, like what's coming up in me, what's coming up in me. 
And like every time I would come into this space in the morning preparation, you know, my, my prayer would be, may I be of service? May I be of service? And what, whatever that looks like. So we have to come in there with humility, understanding things can, things can turn in a nanosecond, right? Things can be highly blissful and then someone can go into an ab reaction. So, you know, we have to be vigilant, be able to sustain our attention. And we also have to be able to deal with when things get weird, uh-huh. right? And things can get really, really weird, right? Our, our founder used to say, weird is where the work gets done. So, you know, people are, um, you know, screaming at the top of their lungs and pounding the ground, or if they're laughing hysterically, does the facilitator have the presence to hold both? Right. One's not good, one's not bad. It's just, yeah. That's what's happening. Everything's Mm -hmm. unfolding as it should. So we have to have the capacity to, to hold some really weird experiences and to be able to say, I don't know. Right? Like we're not going to wrap everything up in a tidy bow. So can we exist in that tension, that discomfort of not being able to interpret, of holding a mystery? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, 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 uh, uh, I, I'm glad you brought up the, the weird factor and, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, we're not using this in a judgmental way when we say weird, mm-hmm. but, but, I, you know, I, when I, when sometimes people ask me, like, I'm not sure if I should go into this, right. I'm, I'm sort of interested. And it's like, that's, I think a good question is, are you comfortable with people talking about meeting God? And are you mm-hmm. talk are you comfortable with people saying they've met uh, an angel or saying that they um, they remembered a past life, or in that you know two weeks after an experience they're having paranormal experiences, they're having telepathy, they're having visions, they're you know, and and I'm not saying you have to believe in in any sort of particular religious perspective or spiritual perspective, but you you have to be at least comfortable to have those conversations and not feel freaked out or feel like, oh, I don't know what's going on here because that's part of the territory. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's something that can come up. So I think even to be good practitioners, we have to know that these, you know, weird things can come up. We have to be familiar with the, you know, the personal unconscious, the collective unconscious. What does it mean when someone can tap into, you know, these archetypal, images um you know what happens when someone says they're doing intergenerational healing right healing um yeah things get things get you know weird but like so interesting yeah so like rich 
Yes. Yeah. That, that for me, that's my reaction to it. And I think that's why for me, it's a good fit is that I, I do find mm -hmm. those conversations with clients interesting and fascinating. And I'm, I'm really intrigued by people's experiences and, and, and how they talk about them. And, uh, mm -hmm. and yeah, and it's still, you know, it's, it's different for me than traditional therapy. Like those conversations are much less likely to come up uh, in, in traditional. I mean, they still do come up, but they're, they're just, it's not as prevalent. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's just, it's, a, it's, if you commit yourself to working with these medicines, it's, it can be just a joyous, incredibly challenging at times, but it can be a life lifetime commitment. I only wish that, um, you know, I'd been able to work with this medicine earlier in my career, but ah, it is what it is. Good luck, bad luck, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yes, yes. Well, thank you so much for spending uh, your, your morning with us. And uh, really, again, can't thank you enough for, for being willing to share your experiences and uh, uh, really wish you the best in whatever you have planned next for yourself. And uh, take care and uh, be well, Denise. Thanks, Brian. It was a great, a great joy. All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Altered States of Context. If you haven't already, please sign up for our newsletter by going to alteredstatesofcontext.com. You'll also find information there about where to find us on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Your listening means a lot to us, and we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, have a great trip.